Your faith is a following after and conforming your life in accordance to the thing you believe in. A faith that comes from God. One that depends on God. Not one you create, but one that comes from knowing Him. One that says, my whole life will be shaped by Him. Everything I desire, everything I believe, everything I do. It's not about building my name or my fame. It's not about building my kingdom. It's about this invitation to know God. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. We continue today in the book of Philippians with a topic that Paul is very, uh, very heavy with in this book. So far, we've gone through the first two chapters of Philippians and nine different times he's called us to joy. Nine different times Paul has focused on joy and finding joy and living in joy and what joy looks like each and every day. And today we continue with his tenth, but not his last, mention of joy. Where again he calls us to something that is not our natural state, but something that is altogether foreign to us. Now, in order to get to joy, in order to discover what he is saying to us, Paul takes us on a journey. Not the journey I would take, but he takes us there. This journey that Paul takes in chapter 3 that we're about to read begins with the call to joy and then moves into the natural next step, which of course would be circumcision, right? And then after circumcision, you have a little bit of ethnocentric nationalism, a little bit of religious legalism, a little bit of persecution of the church, and then finally a whole lot of crap. And then, after all of that, joy. You ready? Philippians chapter 3, this is where we're at today. You're welcome to follow along, and if you don't have a physical Bible, you can find one on your phone or find this text at thepointknox.com. This is what Paul writes. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Rejoice in the Lord, brothers. And then it kind of takes a weird turn. Rejoice not in everything else. Rejoice in him. Rejoice not in your situation or your understanding or your knowledge. No, just rejoice in him. In order to look at these things he's about to say, I want to first begin where he begins. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, I think right here, many of us already fail. We find a lot of joy in our church. A lot lot of joy in the community of people that we love and that love us dearly. We find a lot of joy in our jobs and the, the purpose we fulfill. Even a lot of joy in our families. Paul, he calls us rejoice in the Lord. See, if you and I are enjoying this time together and we really like the music and we really like the things that are happening and the people we're with, and if our only reason for gathering is because it feels good or we like the people we're with, not even our only, if our primary reason for gathering is for the sake of the community, the togetherness, We're missing what could be. No, rejoice in the Lord. See, Paul's entire letter to the people of Philippi is challenging them to see God as more than just one they believe in. He's challenging them to see God as more than just one who frees them from their sin. No, God is so much bigger and better and greater In fact, all the way back in chapter 1, he calls them out and challenges them to live a manner, a life worthy of the gospel. To live as citizens, not of this kingdom, according to the ways of this world. Not bowing down before an emperor, giving yourself over to the things you desire. No, live as citizens of an entirely different kingdom. A kingdom with an entirely different king. Rejoice in the Lord. See, He alone is worthy of our affection and our joy and our attention. But so many other things come and take His place. Paul, he continues, look out for the dogs. Anybody in here a dog person? Oh, does that mean most of you are cat people? Oh, man. Okay. Dogs in the Bible are not a good thing. 
Dogs in the Bible were the animals that would eat the garbage at the dump that were filled with disease and were disgusting, and a person who was cursed by God, their bodies would be eaten by the dogs. Look out for the dogs, Paul writes. A pretty strong warning. What comes next? These people are like those diseased, those flesh-eating, garbage-eating wastes of an animal. Look out for that. Who does he describe? Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, to understand this, how many of you are just like super passionate about circumcision? You can't wait to tell all your friends to get circumcised. Anyone? You can't wait to help them get circumcised. Anybody? So all the way back in the Old Testament, God shows up to Abraham, a fatherless man who's really, really old. And he says, you will be the father of a great multitude. And through you, the entire world will be blessed. But here's the deal. As a sign of this promise, just snip the tip. It'll be okay. And he comes down from the mountain and he tells all of his servants and everybody in his household, hey guys, God's going to bless us. Sounds awesome. We're going to be prosperous. Sounds cool. The whole world will know about, of us. I like where this is headed. But first, wait, wait, wait. Are you sure that's what he said, Abraham? Like, were you actually listening in that moment? You see, the process of becoming a Jew quite literally was a physical transformation. You could not and cannot be a Jewish person who's uncircumcised. And in Paul's day, there's this challenge. There's a lot of people who still believe this truth of God that this is the means, the way in which you are marked and set apart as his. This is the identifier. If you've been circumcised, you can be with God. And so they're going along preaching to Gentiles, which refers to all the people who are not Jewish. And they're telling them about Jesus. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is, how he's king of kings. He reigns above all others. He's conquered death itself. Look at him. By the way, if you want to follow him, just a few days. It won't be that hard. You'll heal eventually. This is what has to happen. Can you imagine being a grown man, hearing this good news of Jesus, being like, that sounds amazing. Wait, you want me to do what? A little bit of reservation. But for the Jewish people, this was a good thing. It was fulfilling God's promise. Paul, he says, look out for those mutilators of the flesh. Those who insist you, can t you still need these requirements and these things that God previously gave. Because now, now there's actually a new sign in our flesh. It's not actually our flesh. You see, now we can look to a different marked body, a body marked with different piercings and different cuts, that of Jesus, this king we declare. And by his wounds, we are healed, and so we can look to his markings and know it's not about what I do. It's not about any activity or action of, or behavior of my own. It's only what he has done. And Paul, he warns that those who insist on the way things always have been are actually evildoers. 
You don't need Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. You don't need Jesus plus an old promise. It's just Jesus. You don't need Jesus plus circumcision. It's just Him. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, look, that old marking, that old thing was given to lead to what we have today. That we all together are the circumcision. We are those who are set apart. Those who are promised to be blessed in Christ. We are those who put no confidence in the flesh. How many of you, or how often do I, put confidence in my flesh? See, what what does that mean? It means believing that I have the ability to make it right with God, to do the right things, to fix my mistakes. Have you ever been there? I certainly have been. God, I know that you forgive me, but first I need to go and fix this problem. God, I know that you forgive me, but first I need to stop my sinning. But the problem is, I keep doing it. Do you? The habits and the hang-ups, the things we've done for years or decades or our entire life. The anger that comes out for no apparent reason. And also the anger that comes out for good reason. Both are wrong. These sinful behaviors are not just something we choose. They're a part of who we are. You and I cannot in any capacity ever do or believe anything to earn us faith or salvation. Paul says, look out for those who put confidence in the flesh. And just in case you're not quite tracking, Paul takes it a step further. Who am I to warn you about these people? Who am I to tell you Jesus plus nothing is everything? Who am I? Well, let me tell you who I am. Paul goes on. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Like, just imagine that boldness, right? If anybody else here thinks that they've done it right, if anybody else thinks that they've figured it out, if you think you have reason to boast, I'm better than you. That's what Paul says. He goes on. It says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. You see, one of the Old Testament laws was that on the eighth day after a baby was born, that's when you would snip it. That's when you'd do the procedure. And there's some medical reasons for that. I won't go down that tangent. But on the eighth day, if you were a real Jewish family who truly wanted to honor God, that's when you'd do the procedure. Paul he says, look, even from birth, from this very early moment, I've been doing it the right way even before it was my decision. I come from the right family of the people of Israel, and not only that, of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, the people of Israel were a chosen people by God. They were to be set apart, unlike the world, so that when the world looked at them, they would see how different they were, how wonderful they were, and they would see in them godliness. And these people were promised to be blessed when they lived according to God's law. For Paul, 
He's pointing out this ethnocentric nationalism. Hey, I come from the right background. I come from the right nation of people, and specifically from the tribe of Benjamin. Which you may or may not know this, but tracing lineage over generations was really important to Jewish people. And by the time Paul is on the scene, there are only two tribes that can still completely trace their lineage 100% back to Abraham. That was the tribe of Judah, which if you know, that's the tribe Jesus came from, and the tribe of Benjamin. These were the only two that could say with complete confidence, we know every generation from now to Abraham. Paul wasn't just of the people of Israel. He was of the people of Israel who knew for absolute certain they were of the people of Israel. He had it all together, born in the right place, to the right family, had everything going well for him. He continues, a Hebrew of Hebrews. A little bit of a slap against some of the Jewish people, the very mutilators of the flesh that he's calling out. See, Alexander the Great... He, as he conquered and expanded his empire, wanted to Hellenize or make Greek the people. And so he began to push Greek culture and Greek language and Greek gods and all kinds of Greek understandings across the entire empire. And so by this time in Paul's day, most Jewish people only used Hebrew or knew Hebrew in the context of synagogue and the temple and their acts of worship. But their daily lives were not Hebrew. Their daily lives were spoken in Greek or other local languages. Paul, he says, look, I am not only of the right family and the right background, the right nationality. Not only was I from birth set apart, just like you should have been but weren't. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I come from a family that still speaks Hebrew in our daily living. Like that's how much holier we are than you. As to the law, a Pharisee. You see, the law, this word here is the word Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. The law of God for the Jewish person was the single most important rule of faith. By this law, we encounter God. By following this law, we meet with him and our sins are forgiven. By doing all the right things, we will be blameless in his sight. And those who were charged with teaching the law, with making sure people followed it, they were the Pharisees. They underwent rigorous training and teaching, rigorous memorization of entire chunks of the Old Testament. And I'm not talking a few verses. No, I'm talking books upon books committed to memory so they could teach them with passion and truth. In the transcribing of the Old Testament, they were so focused on getting it right, making sure that every single manuscript was exact, that at the end of every manuscript, they'd write a number and a letter. That number was the total number of characters in the entire book. And that letter would be what's supposed to be the exact center. And when they finished transcribing, they would count them all up. And if they didn't match up, they would burn the record and start over. Could you imagine handwriting the entire book of Isaiah and being off by one letter and having to start over? 
This is how focused the Pharisees were on making sure they got it exact. And Paul, he says, look, I wasn't just born into the right family. No, I wasn't just born into the right nation and the right people at the right time. I was born into a family that did it so well, they trained me to become a teacher of this law. If anybody can boast about how great they are, are you starting to feel inadequate? As to zeal or passion for preserving and protecting this faith, passion that sometimes came out in groups called zealots. If you've never heard of zealots, they were people who would fight the government for the sake of religion. As for zeal, a persecutor of the church. See, Paul is describing the faith that he had, the life that he lived, how close to God he was in the eyes of their religious understanding. He says, I loved God so much that anybody who believed this blasphemy about Jesus who claimed to be God, this blasphemy about Jesus who claimed to not only be the Son of God, but the Messiah to come, I was so passionate about protecting God and doing what was right. I would persecute Christians. In fact, in the book of Acts, we see Paul is going from town to town, not just saying, hey, stop it, this is bad, but actually throwing them in jail and when possible, signing off on and endorsing their murder. This is the kind of man that Paul is. That's how passionately committed to being Jewish he was to holding fast to their way of life and the things they've been taught. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, Paul's not saying he was perfect. In the Old Testament, when you sinned, you were considered guilty. And to make yourself blameless again, you'd have to go through ritual, often including sacrifice, sometimes including offering of of other goods and other things, but all kinds of ritual and practice that would then, in the eyes of the priests and through them, in the eyes of God, make you blameless, one who's without fault, even though you've sinned. Paul, he says, according to the law, When it comes to being righteous or being in right standing with God, I was blameless. I was without fault. All of my sins were perfectly atoned for the way that we were supposed to. Look, if you want to boast about how good you are, about how great your faith is, if you want to boast about how you're living according to the law, nobody compares to me. That's what Paul's writing. I just wonder, for the people hearing this, just how offensive this would have been. See, all these things Paul is spelling out, this ethnocentric nationalism, this religious zealousy, this uh, even legalism that says, if you do these things, it will always go well for you. All of these things he's spelling out would have been what any good Jew was taught is the way of faith. That's what we should aspire to. That's what we should desire. Paul, he says, look, all of that stuff, here's the kicker. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
Look, all that I could have accomplished on my own, everything I could have celebrated and been rightful in celebrating, everything I could have done to say, look at me and how great I am, I count it all as loss. Not a little bit of it matters. Not even in the slightest compared to what I gain in Christ. And then Paul continues, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Anybody in here a Greek expert? Nope. Anybody know a little bit of Greek? Let me tell you a word you should go home and repeat later today, all right? This is, this is perhaps my favorite word. This is the only place in the Bible it occurs, and I really enjoy it. Scubalon. All right, just say it with me. Scubalon. Yeah, yeah. All right. I just taught you all uh, the closest thing we have in the Bible to a curse word, an expletive, a thing you shouldn't say. You see, scubalon, quite literally, is crap, sewage, waste. The word for rubbish here is scubalon. See, in those days, they didn't have plumbing like you and I have, a a magical toilet that takes it all away and we never have to think about it. In those days, what they had was people who, when they needed to go, would go wherever they were, wherever they were going. If you've ever been to a third world country, you may have seen this in person. I have been to Haiti a few times, and it's quite common for somebody on the side of the road to just pull over, get out of the car, and squat. And you hope you're not too close behind them. And then when it rains or when some water comes, it kind of washes into these little ditches. And you quite literally have sewage ditches just flowing down the street until eventually they exit the city and then go on to flow down to the the ocean. And you just don't swim in that part of the ocean. No big deal. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them has crap. Like imagine the visceral image Paul is painting. All of these things, my birth, my family of origin, the nation I'm a part of, the rules and the religious laws I've been taught, everything about my upbringing and my training, all of that, which you've previously thought is what makes one perfect, is like the poop flowing in those ditches. What a pleasant picture. Scubalon. Counted it all as crap in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul sees before him and before you and me today something better than all of that stuff. It's not about where you've been or the family you come from. It's not about how much you know or how much you believe or how much you act rightly. It's about Jesus. He And he alone makes all of that stuff no longer matter. He and he alone makes everything we've clung to before garbage. He continues, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So far, I'm excited for this Christ he's painting, right? I want to know this Jesus who can conquer death. Now, now when we use the word righteousness, we often think morality, right? Like, I'm more righteous than you if I don't do those bad things. You ever thought that? Don't. Just saying. You're not more righteous. Neither am I. Righteous, quite literally, is a legal term to refer to your standing before a judge. Are you guilty or righteous? That's it. There's no more or less guilty or righteous. There's no mostly righteous or kind of guilty. You're one or the other in the eyes of a judge. And if a judge today can declare something, and that's the way it is, imagine what the judge of the universe who spoke the world into being can declare. And the weight of those words when he declares guilty or righteous. Paul, he says, look, I'm not seeking a righteousness that comes from anything I can accomplish because nothing I do will ever measure up to him. I'm seeking to be be declared righteous by him in his righteousness, in who he is and what he's done, in that alone I can rejoice in God. For God has given us not only the ability to know God, to know Christ, but also to have the power of his resurrection. But then he continues, and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul knows that Jesus' power to conquer the grave would not have been realized or known in this world if he hadn't first suffered and died. For you and me, our ability to rejoice in the Lord doesn't come when everything's going great. No, it comes when we join in his sufferings when we partner with and partake in and share in the pain and the anguish that he himself shared. And you guys know this to be true. It seems that when we're hurting, we often draw closer to God. When things are going well, we usually find all kinds of excuses not to draw close to God, right? Like the weather's great, I'll be out on the boat. Or, you know, I'm just drawing close to God on my own while I sleep in. Or I'm just drawing close to God doing these other things. And, and we end up getting super distracted and never actually meeting with him. Paul says, look, all of that stuff I once held as important is garbage compared to knowing Christ that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and in turn share in his sufferings. And this is why he calls us to rejoice. See, God today is not expecting you or I to live from the perfect family. Did you know if your family is dysfunctional, you're in good company? Like, think about this. Quite literally, the very first family ever created, one brother killed the other. From the beginning, families have been dysfunctional. If yours is dysfunctional, you're in good company. Look, Paul's saying we don't have to focus on our family and what may or may not be going well. No, we can focus on Jesus. 
We don't have to focus on living according to a certain set of rules, of getting it all right, of knowing the right things. The only thing that we need to know is Christ. That's it. Everything else doesn't matter. So let me ask this question today as we finish. Is knowing Christ enough for you to rejoice? Or is it knowing Christ plus something else? I want to know Jesus and I want everything to go well. I want to know Jesus and I want to continue to do all the things I've always done. I want to know Jesus, but I don't ever want to take time to get to know him. I just want to assume he'll just magically dump all this knowledge into my head without any work on my part. See, Paul, throwing all of this aside, is not saying faith in the sense that we just believe God exists. See, when we read faith in the, in the Bible, we often think today that faith means belief. Oh, I believe in a lot of things. But faith is more than belief. When he talks about a faith that comes in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, When he describes this kind of faith, it's more than just believing something exists. But it's a giving of yourself entirely to that thing. And I think we all know that this is what faith is. How many of you have faith in gravity? None of you? I certainly have faith in gravity. I'm not going to jump from the balcony because I know what's going to happen next. Your faith is a following after and conforming your life in accordance to the thing you believe in. A faith that comes from God. One that depends on God. Not one you create, but one that comes from knowing Him. One that says, my whole life will be shaped by Him. Everything I desire Everything I believe, everything I do. It's not about building my name or my fame. It's not about building my kingdom. It's about this invitation to know God. I wasn't here when the point started, so I don't know if this is fact. For those of you who are here, correct me. If you don't know what our church mission is, everything we do is for the sake of connecting the disconnected to a growing and reproducing relationship with Jesus. See, we believe that if you're connected with Jesus, nothing else matters. And to grow to know him is the goal. We're not wanting to connect people to this place or to our programs or to me or to the band. No, it's just to Jesus. And I can imagine that this verse here was in large part what inspired Pastor Matt. Look, none of that religious stuff matters if we miss Jesus. None of that external stuff is of any importance if it's not about Jesus. This is my hope and my prayer for you and for me that each one of us can find the surpassing worth of knowing him. He'll change everything. Will you let him? Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you have made all of our efforts and all of our works and all of our doing, God, you've made it all garbage. 
So help us to cut that out. God, to give up trying to make it on our own, trying to create an image of our self-righteousness, trying to live as those who are perfect. May we instead come before you broken as sinners, desperate for righteousness that comes from you. And God, may we have faith, faith which doesn't just believe, but God, faith that centers our life in you. Faith that fills our every day with you. That you are worth everything. God, I pray that we would be a people who count everything else as loss. That nothing would matter except knowing you. Walking with you. Seeing the power of your resurrection each and every day. Thank you, God, that in this we can rejoice. For you will never leave us and never forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we are going to collect an offering. Part of being a Pharisee and part of the law of the Old Testament included giving a certain percentage. It was a minimum of 10%, and then for all the times you sinned, you gave in addition to that to prove your repentance. We don't believe any of that here. There is no requirement for giving. There's no necessity that you must. We do, however, believe that one thing we can often count as Jesus plus this is sometimes we can think Jesus plus me having lots of money, then things will go well. And to combat that temptation, we believe generosity is a good practice to help us see just Jesus alone. So here in this place, we encourage every person to give what is generous for you. And maybe that's just a few dollars, and maybe that's a few hundred. I don't care, and I won't even check. We give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Will you join us in giving in person in the buckets or online at thepointknox.com? Thank you. Now comes the part where you guys have texted in questions and I get to do my best to respond or tell you I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. First, I know, I felt it too. Um, (laughs) The first question, uh, actually, someone is interested in knowing how tall I am. I don't know. Five two ish. I haven't checked in a very long time. Always tall enough to reach the ground. These boots, however, <laughs> they make me taller. Um, five. Let's say five two. I'm so curious who's interested. <laughs> okay. Second, does absolution work for those of us who are watching on live stream or Facebook Live, or is it just for those who can physically be there to receive it? It absolutely works uh, for each one of us because it is Christ's forgiveness for you. It's nothing magical that I'm doing. So yes, you are forgiven even online. Excellent. All right, next question. Would you rather? Would you rather have been alive during Jesus' first coming or be alive to witness his second coming? Uh, yes. I mean, I I hope I'm alive when he comes back next. So I'm not afraid of it. I really look forward to it. It's going to be really awesome. But it also would have been really cool to get a free meal out of him when he fed the 5,000 or to like walk on water with him. So the answer is yes. Uh, If I have to pick because I can't go back in time, I hope he comes back in my life. 
That's I choose indoor plumbing every time, like perfect. when given yeah. the op- option. It's a good point. Yeah. So the future one. Yep. Uh, okay. Next question. If Lucifer was the angel of light and the most beautiful creature God ever created, how and when did he come to be portrayed as a red demon with horns, a tail, and a pitchfork in our culture? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I will dive into a little bit of cultural history and see what I can find. I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Okay. All right, last question. We were just like racing through these today. Um, these are all awesome. In regard to the tribes that we talked about today, what happened to the Levites and the priesthood, and why don't modern Jews still have priests? Ooh. Um, what happened? Well, multiple different times they got exiled and kicked out of their land, and um, for 2,000 years nearly they were... Uh, a people without a land scattered across the world and when they scattered it became difficult to maintain that unique identity uh, which is why some of the genealogies became really muddled and confusing and why don't they have priests today Uh, I would say largely because they don't have a temple where they can make sacrifices because the primary job of the priest was to maintain the temple to bring people into the presence of God um, vicariously through them and then also to uh, take care of the widows and the orphans through the temple offering. And since they don't have a temple, it's hard to do those things. So, yeah. That's interesting. That was a good question. I want to learn more about that. The Levites are an interesting group of people. If you've ever read Leviticus, super awesome book. You probably wouldn't think that because it's very confusing and really weird, Um, but pretty cool too. There's a lot of grace in Leviticus, oddly enough, but maybe we'll tackle that some other time. Yeah. 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 All right. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.